0: The scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 16, the final verses of that first gospel. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit and teaching them to obey everything that i have commanded you and remember i'm with you always to the end of the age i went to the doctor this past monday just a checkup but on four separate occasions while i was there they asked about my occupation where I worked in in the case of the receptionist it was just the paperwork and among all the things you had to fill out was where do you work what do you do but the nurse the nurse practitioner and the lab tech all asked so what do you do Where, where do you work and so I told all of them I'm one of the pastors at Country Club Christian Church there on Ward Parkway south of the plaza dead silence. <laughs> not a one of them said a thing. Now, I mean, it's not like I expect them to jump up and down and say, oh my gosh, that beautiful Gothic place, it's so amazing. What's your role? What, what, what does the church see as its mission in the world? No, no, I didn't expect that, although I have had that happen, but it just seemed so odd. Nothing. It, in that moment, it felt like we were totally irrelevant. I felt like I might as well have said, well yeah, that Gothic building, I'm the telegraph operator there. Yeah, you know, when someone wants to send a telegram, I got the visor on, my sleeves rolled up, and I, I click out all the dots and dashes and send messages over the wire. Pretty impressive, huh? It just felt so irrelevant. And it got me to thinking, what is the church for? What is this church for? everyone knows why schools exist and hospitals and what they do and, and grocery stores we know what grocery stores are for but what is the church for what were those folks thinking a hundred years ago and when they built this place of stone and glass and Saint Matthew's window and all of these what what was all of it for what is the church for You've probably heard me tell before about the internship I did in college. It was my first church position. The senior minister, the year I was there, was preaching on the mission of the church and preaching through the Gospel of Matthew. It took him more than six months. We were exhausted by the time it was over. Jesus may have been giving the so-called Great Commission, but we were greatly tired, worn out. It was fitting, though, that the series ended with this passage from the Gospel of Matthew because for that minister, this passage, and for that matter, every passage in the Gospel of Matthew was about making sure people got saved, that they accepted Jesus, that they would die and go to heaven and not burn in hell. Every sermon, including the one that he preached on this, that, he said, is what a church is for. To use a phrase from the British scholar, Jeremy Begby, I find that interpretation deeply problematic. Begby says, deeply problematic is what Brits use when in polite conversation, they want to tell someone you're dead wrong. (laughs) I find this deeply problematic, that interpretation. It's the most common one, but I don't think it's what Matthew had in mind at all. In fact, I think he'd be shocked here's one way to think about it when you read the Bible any passage in the Bible you have to always navigate the time gap between way back then and now but in the case of the Gospels Matthew as well you not only have to navigate that time gap but the one between way back then and way back then here's what I mean Jesus earthly ministry of roughly three years happened somewhere in the 30s, probably the early 30s. The gospel we call Matthew, we don't know who wrote it, it wasn't penned until the mid-80s. Fifty-plus years had elapsed since the time of Jesus. Matthew, or who we call Matthew, was the pastor of, of a church. And over that 50 years, that's what had developed. This largely Jewish movement following Jesus, a, a church was born. In fact, Matthew actually uses the word church in the 18th chapter. And here he even kind of hints at development. There's a, there's a baptism in the name of the Trinity. These are things that developed over time. Matthew is the pastor of a church, mostly Jews. And he wants to tell them the story of Jesus. But he doesn't take them back to the mountain in the 30s. He brings that story to the church in the 80s. Or for us, to the church in the 21st century. As for what Jesus was charging them to do, well, I think the key is in the grammar. Now, I don't know if any of you in junior high had to do sentence diagramming but my english teacher mrs talbert was really big on diagramming she said if you diagram sentences it'll help you understand the difference between main clauses and subordinate clauses between verbs and participles and she was right unfortunately english translations don't do justice here i won't bore you with the details except to say this the main charge to the church make disciples it's actually one word a verb in the Greek disciple disciple people make followers or maybe even better make learners and how the church does that is twofold by baptizing and teaching baptizing brings them in and teaching grounds them and I think about our church which in most years has a pastor's class last year 19 young people during the season of Lent they're preparing for baptism on that Palm Sunday and the teaching is not just then the teaching goes on forever in our lives we've been doing it here for 100 years and the church has been doing it for 2000 baptize and teach as for who is to be discipled well there's actually two kind of clues given in the passage little bitty words actually Now, Mrs. Talbert would be so proud if you caught this, but the story happens on a mountain. Actually, the mountain. Six times, Matthew tells mountain stories in his Gospels. Mountain story here, mountain story there. But only in two of them does he use the definite article, the. The mountain and the sermon on the Mount. We're supposed to hear in the background of this, to teach the teachings of Jesus in that Sermon on the Mount. And then the other little word, it occurs a lot in here, only English doesn't always do it justice, but it's that little word all. It says all the nations, I'm not sure why they translated it that way, it's really, it's all the Gentiles. See, here's the thing. Matthew's Jewish church was starting to have Gentile visitors. Or as we would say nowadays, they were clicking on the attendance button. And every church I know, on their website, on their signs, say, all are welcome. Everybody's welcome. But when, but when the all starts showing up, ooh, that's, that's a little bit problematic. When I think about matthew and the charge that he records from jesus to make disciples of all peoples jew and gentile i think about who's been excluded when i was an intern at that church women could be interns as well in fact there were some but let's be clear they were never going to be a pastor it would not be allowed And even some seminaries back then, and a few now, wouldn't let women take classes toward pastoral ministry. Or I think about the church and its exclusion of LGBTQ people, running them into the ground, crushing their souls. But honestly, when I think about the gap between then and now, between Jew and Gentile, the one that really comes to mind is the issue we've been dealing with for 400 years of racism. Yeah, sure, on Monday we celebrated King. And on Wednesday, it was an amazing thing, we we inaugurated a, a woman of color into the highest offices in the land. But we have got so far to go. I don't know if you know this story about a woman named Grace Thomas she was born in Birmingham, Alabama in the 30s and moved to Atlanta, Georgia. Well, in 1952, she ran for governor. She'd, she'd gone to law school at night, but had mostly been doing some clerking. I mean, she, she, didn't, she came out of nowhere. So in 1952, she ran. This was the year of Brown versus Board of Education ruling, so everything was about race, every bit of the campaign. There were eight men and Grace, and she came in dead last but she didn't give up. 1954 is when she ran. I think I said 52. It was 54. But in 62, she ran again. And when she ran this time, she was in a small town in Georgia at the Town Square, which normally might have a courthouse, but instead, instead it had an old slave block. And she stood there to talk about her platform. And finally, someone... After she went on and on about repenting of our racism and so forth, finally a heckler yelled out, What are you, a communist or something? And very calmly she said, No, I'm not. And he said, Well, then where'd you get those ideas? And she pointed to the steeple of a nearby church and she said, I got them over there in Sunday school. That's what a church is for. It teaches people a different way of being in the world. Make disciples, make learners, make followers. Some of you may remember, I think it was during the last year that I I wrote a newsletter article about Clarence Jordan. He was a great Greek New Testament scholar, but who really spent his time not in academia, but founding a, a place called Koinonia Farm. It was about communal living and caring for all of God's creatures, but it was in the deep south and they were always being opposed by the KKK. And, and at one point, Jordan and Cornelia Farm came into some legal challenges. So Clarence called his brother, Bob, who was a lawyer. His brother, Bob, would eventually serve in the state legislature and be a justice on the state Supreme Court of Georgia. Well, he called him up and he said, you know, we're gonna need your help. And Bob, Bob believed in inclusion, he did. But he told Clarence, he says, you know, I could, I could lose everything. <laughs> and Clarence said, and how do you think blacks in the South feel? They're gonna lose everything, literally, their lives. And Bob said, yeah, yeah, I, I know, I know. And Cl- But Clarence said, no, no, don't you remember? We both went forward the same day to join the church. We were baptized. We were asked the same questions by the pastor. Remember? And finally Bob said, look, Clarence, I follow Jesus up to a point. And Clarence said, would that point be the cross? And then he asked him, so are you a follower of Jesus or just an admirer? If you look at our St. Matthew window, there is nothing about the Great Commission there. But in a way, there is. Remember, this happens on the mount, where we're supposed to hear echoes of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is featured so prominently in that window. In the central panel is Jesus giving the Sermon on the Mount. And under it, an angel with one of the verses from the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, or better translation, for justice, for they shall be filled. And then, above that, the saint himself, Matthew, book in hand, and another verse from the Sermon on the Mount. Let your light shine before men, or as we would say now, before others. Some of you know that I've done these Bible and art tours with a docent from the Nelson. Donna and I are doing another tour this year later in Italy, if you're interested. One of the things I would love to have is to have everybody in here and we would be looking at this window and Donna would, would point out some things and she had just this, this little thing she does. You just take your hand and you put your eye and you follow it around because you can, you can zero in on something and, and sure enough, if you look at it, all of a sudden be struck by something it's hard to say what but if you did that it's that little verse let your light shine think about it stained glass windows are for letting light come in but this one challenges us to shine it out to be a place where all are included That's what a church is for.